I'm realizing that like it's not so much a battle, but almost a dance. And people are gonna hate that I said that because people don't want that. People want good or evil. You are listening to Terra Signals, presented by Normal Paranormal. I am your host, Justin Bankforth. Priscilla Stone is a passionate student of the paranormal and other fringe topics with a particular focus on UAP disclosure. Her fascination with the unknown began at the age of five when she had her very first UFO experience. This sparked a series of events that led to a drastic change in her worldview. With a background in molecular biology, Priscilla has honed her research skills and learned how to properly conduct and vet research. And one of her biggest passions is exploring the role that dreams play in the paranormal and contact experiences, which we will, of course, be going over all of that tonight among a myriad of other different things. Priscilla's podcast, Quantum Witch Cafe, provides a safe space for experiencers and authors alike to share their life-changing events and chat about all things paranormal, fringe, strange, and UAP. She is the Quantum Witch. Priscilla Stone, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you just came back from a recent trip to Columbia, where you were part of a team studying anomalous lights, right, for season two of Phenomenology. How did that opportunity come about? That came about, I was following a page called UAP Columbia, which Ashley Cowley um, was behind, and I didn't know at the time. And he, I basically was just sharing all of their posts, because it's very interesting uh, to see that there's these anomalous lights that are connected with like the local legends and folklore. So um, he started working on Phenomenology 1 and kind of like contacted me but last minute, like, hey, I was thinking it would be super cool. We don't have a witch in our crew. And it was, it was like two weeks before their show, um, before the first season was going to be filmed. So I couldn't do it. I, and then I got COVID and all this good stuff happened. So... Um, he's like, well, would you consider if you're coming back for season two since, and I'm obviously like, yes, but, um, I'm not sure, you know, I have kids and, uh, I'm a military wife. So the, whatever is happening at that time kind of depends on what's happening with my husband's work. So, um, but he was like, yeah, like drop your classes and go. It's a once in a lifetime thing. So I, I was surprised, um, not that he's not supportive, but, um, that he would have to take all that time off to be with the kids or work from home. So it's a lot, it's a big ask of somebody um, to take that much time off of work because it was 10 days. And basically he was like, you need to go. Like, so I did, I went. <laughs> and for those of us who aren't familiar with the phenomenology show, what's it about? Could, you know, give us some details. So phenomenology is about, a certain anomalous light phenomena revolving around two mountains, one called La Pina de Huayca and the other one called Mahoy. And these have been observed as far back as people, I mean, pr before Spaniards, there's legends of this happening. So when Ashley Cowie moved to Colombia, he started seeing them and investigating them. So it's really interesting to see these anomalous lights that could be earth lights in conjunction with the local legends and lore of the area. 
So that's what phenomenology is about. It's investigating these lights and the phenomena associated with it, as well as I would say for season two, at least the culture and season one, the culture surrounding these lights in the local areas. And you mentioned that there is a link between anomalous lights, legends, and culture, right? Could you explain a little bit more about that? Well, it seems that, especially in season two, we went to uh, quite a few different locations. Season one was kind of based around the area surrounding La Pina de Laica. And then for season two, we went to separate areas in Colombia, some of them two hours, three hours away, to, to see if there was a correlation between the legends in Tabia surrounding these mountains and legends elsewhere. And sure enough, the other two to three places we went had some sort of legends dating way back to indigenous times before the Spaniards came and before Catholicism came into the area of these lights. So everything from serpents to gods and goddesses are sort of part of the legend. And these things are also depicted all over. Like it's, it's impossible to go through Tabio and not see some sort of UFO art. Oh, interesting. It's very cool. Huh. And did they take you to like places that hadn't been explored really before or? Yes, we went on a path called the Camino Real. And there are a lot of places have Camino Real um, because of the legend. But we went on a mountain that was, uh, was part of it is a reserve and it's a sacred area. So it's very, um, the, the path is not very clear and it's pretty unexplored. So we did go into those areas with permission, obviously to explore the areas, trying to find anything that we could see as far as maybe observation points where they would be able to see the sky or the areas surrounding, or even looking for um, pictograms in the areas that would maybe kind of show anomalous lights or serpents or anything that correlated with the lore. And when you went into some of these, um, some of these areas, were there spiritual protocols or like protection type rituals that you had to go through? So we, um, there was another female in the team. Her name was Elena and, and she made offerings. Um, I kind of did my own silent prayers, but it was understood, you know, once you're in these areas, because they are still sacred to the Mahoy, which is the, the tribe, um, the tribe or the indigenous people of the area that you don't smoke, you don't leave trash, and you're not allowed to bring anything out. So like if you wanted to bring like a flower out, you don't do it. So we were very respectful of the land. And then there's some areas that we wanted to go and um, we were told no, because the, the fire hazard was too high. Um, also at the time there was a active volcano that had not erupted, that the last time this volcano erupted was in 1984. And that was actually like on an amber when we arrived to Columbia. So between that happening, so if this volcano would blow and we're on these mountains that are, you know, belonging to the indigenous people that are sacred, they don't want anybody getting hurt because there would be aftershocks. And then in addition to that, it's, it was dry. So they didn't want any risk of like a fire happening while we were up there. And so we respected that and uh, we went to other sites um, a few times because of that. And is there like this level of fear there from the Mahoe people 
in certain areas or they pretty much because they are respecting the land that there really is no fear it doesn't seem like there's a lot of fear and even when you look back into um mr ashley cowley has collected a lot of uh you know, eyewitness accounts and also went into archives to find accounts of these lights. And they're usually depicted as gods and goddesses. So there is obviously a level of respect, but it's not um, so much here where, you know, a gray pops up and everybody's afraid. It, it seems like it's just more embedded within the culture. And then even when Catholicism sort of weaved itself into the indigenous culture, and it they still kind of kept it a spiritual thing it feels really spiritual for the most part now there's these isolated you know stories where um daylight may have be sentient and stuff like that but um it didn't seem like there's a lot of fear it just seemed like they had respect for these lights and the areas you know here in in the states right you have places such as skinwalker ranch right which everybody knows and then you have the first nations people who have lived there forever they are afraid of this whatever this energy is right yeah um and it's just it's interesting how you know there's these different dynamics at play and there's these different perceptions right like could these lights these entities these beings could they be malevolent could they be benevolent you know so yeah. there's always that back and forth that always fascinates Absolutely. me um, yeah, same. was that your first ufo investigation or had you been on others before that was my first uh, field investigation, I would say, or field research. And I didn't even think of it that way. I just thought, you know, um, I, I get to listen. I get to go to Columbia for one, which is super cool. Um, and I always say this, like my world is pretty small. Normally I have, I stay with my kids. So it's just like our house and like our little routine. So to, like, it was already going to be cool to go, but in conjunction with that, it's, with something I love studying, you know, from books and internet and is anomalous lights um, or anomalous light phenomena. So yes, this is my first time going out and actually, you know, boots on ground to investigate something. Now, one of the aspects of field investigations, and this is kind of a fear too, this plays into, I guess, the, the fear aspect is some investigators tend to bring stuff back <laughs> after an investigation. Did you experience any of that? No, and I've been on paranormal in investigations before and nothing followed me back. But then again, like, I don't even know that I would notice. I feel like there's been like some entourage of weirdness around me since I was little, as long as I can remember anyway. So I feel like, okay, well, I'd be like, welcome to the group. Uh, these are my shadow beings and my entities. So <laughs> if they did follow me, they'd be fine. I mean, but I haven't had that happen yet. And everybody always asks me that. Are you worried? I'm like, no, maybe because I'm not worried it doesn't happen. I, I don't know. Have you ever had a negative experience following a paranormal investigation? Not really. Um, the more negative experiences happened um, when I was little with the shadow beings and other entities after I saw my first, I guess, set of UFOs because there was three orbs that I saw. Those were scary, but then looking back, they were kind, They were only scary because of the unknown aspects of it. I have had some scary demonic experiences um, from dabbling, oh. I would probably say, and things I shouldn't have as a young preteen that was rebellious. Okay. So I've, so I've had more scary what I guess I would consider maybe demonic entity attacks or low vibrational enemy or entity attacks 
um, however you want to refer to them. But nothing's followed me. Okay. It just kind of like, I don't know, came to me or I accidentally let them in from who knows where, but. Huh. And of course, the reason I bring that up is prior to the start of this interview, we had some technical issues. Always. And uh, it pretty much delayed our interview for like 40 minutes almost. Yes. Why don't you talk about some of those, uh, what happened? Because the first thing I noticed was that your audio was off. Right. It sounded kind of cloudy. It sounded kind of echoey. I suggested, hey, let's try a few troubleshooting techniques and then restarted your machine. Several times. Several times. Then your mouse stopped working. Then all of these things took place. And then you pulled out a paranormal app, right? You mentioned. I did, yeah. So, what happened with this? So I I pulled out the paranormal app because I do have my little mini ghost hunting kit in the room next to me. But I was like, am I being extra? I'm being so, I'm going to be extra. So like, I was just like, okay, well, I have the app here. Um, and I didn't want to like, I don't think I could weird you out after reading your book, but I didn't want to, I didn't want you to like pop back on screen. I've got like a REM pod, EMF reader, like all this stuff set up. But I do have an app that has really good reviews that does the word bank EVPs. So people are kind of like anti those, but this one particular one isn't known for saying like demon the first time you ask it a question. It, it, sometimes <laughs> it doesn't say anything. You know, some of them will give you compelling answers, but this is one that a lot of people like um, out of the app. So I put it on and it's going and I'm like asking it, like I, say, I finally, like it's not giving me anything. And then finally I'm like, you know, if you have something to say, just tell us, you don't have to break my computer. <laughs> Like, you know, Justin and I want, you know, we're down to talk to you, you know, if, if, uh, if that's the case, if you have something to say, I literally said, if you have something to say, just say it. And it said, play. It kind of has like that robot voice to it. I'm not sure if I can change it or not, but the word play pops up on the screen. And then like, after that, I was like, okay, like, can we play after the podcast? Which I shouldn't have said, because now it's going to keep yeah. going. Oh, well, uh, here we go. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> well, sorry. if you have, if you've had experiences and you're listening to this, you know what I mean? Um, so anyways, it might be a long night. Yeah. So I just was like, okay, like we see, I see you, I hear you, you want to play, let's not play with the computer. And then like, I, then the, th so at that time the screen was kind of like frozen and then I pressed it again and it restarted and the mouse wanted to work again, which it kept freezing on the restart screen. And then finally, when it loaded, the mouse was like not working, which I don't have a problem with this mouse. Like this computer's fine. Unless I'm trying to talk about weird things with weird people, which seems to be the trend for when my computer likes to be a brat. Uh-huh. Well, so, <laughs> what about when you're on the phone? Do you have weird disturbances when you're having conversations with somebody on, on just regular telephone? Not normally. Um, but I will say like, if I do, it's usually when we're kind of like talking about something really meaningful and deep or you know, like the phone will just start echoing. Um, I always feel like there's like an echo with me somewhere, um, when nobody else has it. Not always. I, that sounds like a silly word cause you can't always be like that, but you know, um, like there's a lot of times where technology has not been happy with me or gotten along with me. And then like somebody else will come in and be like, boop, one button, everything's fine. I'm like, but I pressed that button. I tried this. I tried that. And they're like, I don't know, man. Like they just like leave because 
it's just me. I just break things, I guess. Um, no, I, it's not you. I, I've heard this before. And I actually wrote about this in, in my book, The Spectrum, which, of course, you've read, uh, The Case of Emma. Do you remember that? Yeah, uh, which would remind me of the one, because I'm horrible with names, remind me of what was happening with Emma. So Emma, uh, which is a pseudonym, uh, she didn't want to be known. Uh, she first started to become aware of her unwanted gifts after we kind of um, talked about her stress levels and the connection between her, her level of stress and physical items, especially a lot of technological devices that would just oh. malfunction. And it was like, for example, some of it was um, like in her car, she was getting stressed out uh, when she was deciding between two different job offers. Mm. And she was just sitting in her car, contemplating them over like a lunch break or something. And she was just focusing on one spot on her windshield and then crack. There's this large crack okay. right before her eyes. It was like kind of like really weird. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you want to call it, like a, but uh, then there was another incident where she was at the mechanic and uh, she actually mentioned this to me that there were multiple times uh, when her relatively new car would just suddenly break down or stall out in the middle of an intersection mm -hmm. after she fixated on stressful thoughts. The mechanic should never pinpoint it. Uh, she brought it into the shop all the time. So when you were experiencing a lot of these computer problems earlier, that's why I kept texting you. Just focus yes. on positivity, right? Yeah. Um, I think that stress does play a connection to this. Now, I don't know what your day was like prior to us conversing here. Were you having a stressful day? It was the reverse. Um, oh. I, I, I have a condition um, that a lot of people have uh, called depression. So today was a really good day, which... If anybody out there has suffered from depression, and this has been since I was little, so like I don't mind talking about it. Um, you realize like when you have a good day, you can feel like almost ethereal. Uh, like I can feel like these energy, like these not energy, but these like happy hormones flooding me. And I feel like if I close my eyes, I can feel high almost. Um, so today was kind of like a really good day. Um, so and maybe it's the reverse for me because I'm always kind of like fighting off that low vibrational state of depression that when I have like these happy spikes or energy spikes, um, maybe something happens, but I mean, it, it's hard to tell. I would have to like keep more of a diary of it. Yes, please do. Because there, I am so certain that there is a connection between our mental state and what we call psychic phenomena in all right. of its various forms. But do you think there's another connection to this, like a consciousness connection. I do. Um, not to go down like conspiracy or blue lane or anything like that, but uh, it always seems as if you're trying to talk about something important or something that is kind of on the spectrum of paranormal, um, the weirder side of paranormal that these things kind of happen with. And you have to think like happy emotions, mad emotions, like it all reverberates. So if I'm in like in a weird energy or a weird resonance and I'm messing with my computer and maybe the computer's like, wait a minute, but it could also draw attention from entities around us that, you know, like to be tricksters a lot of the time. So sometimes they're, you know, angelic, sometimes they're scary, but they like to play, of course, uh, a lot more than anything else, it seems. Do you consider yourself psychic? 
or sensitive? Sensitive, yes. Psychic, no. Um, the lights are doing things, so that's fun. Uh, so, okay. So, sensitive, yes. Uh, reading a room type of sensitive, like very empathic, I would say, uh, is probably the right word. Um, I almost can do like FBI profiling off of people's energy in person, and sometimes through the screen, it'll reach through me. Um, sometimes through dreams, I'll be like, hey, like I had this dream about you, don't be alarmed, because I don't get like precognitive dreams a lot. Um, but I do get kind of like in the moment dreams, like they're like this person's going through something and I'll have a dream about something really like strange happening to them. But it's almost exaggerated like a Quentin Tarantino movie. And it'll be like in the part where they're stressed. So like if somebody has like mental anxiety and depression issues, I'll get like a crazy dream about like their head, something happening with their head. Um, and, it, and it's jarring enough and sometimes graphic enough where I'm like, I have to call that person, you know, and see if, how they're doing, like, how's your mental state, you know, um, or, hey, like, are you hurting right now? Like, are you, are you heartbroken right now sometimes or, or something like that, so. done a lot of research about the dream state too. I have, yeah. But before we get into that, I just want to give the audience a little background um, on how we first met. It was at a UFO conference in 2022 in Maryland. And that's primarily how I know of you because of your connection to the UFO subject. More notably, you're not just a, an investigator in this. You're not just interested in this. But you've also moderated various discussions for some rather larger UFO events as of late. Could you tell us about some of those and what they were like? Yeah, sure. So the first time was for um, Inquiry to Anomalous in New York, um, which is put on by James Iandoli and J. Christopher King. Uh, James Iandoli from Engaging the Phenomenon and J. Christopher King from Experiencer Group. And I joke around, I'm like, Jay, you're like experiencer royalty because he has these ties to like Leslie King and Ralph Blumenthal. And so I joke around with him. But they asked me if I wanted to come kind of uh, introduce some guests. Um, and that was absolutely nerve wracking because like you're on stage, it's a little different than just like hiding behind a microphone in a screen. So, um, but the people I got to introduce, like uh, Mitch Horowitz and Whitley Strieber, are people that I've kind of followed for a very long time and I'm around all the, and I get to be around all these people all of a sudden that I've, I don't want to say idolized, but have admired because of their work in different fringe subjects or UFO subjects or paranormal or just outward thinking, like, you know, things like synchronicity or stuff like that. So, um, that was pretty amazing to get to go to New York and do that again, you know, up until the past until I entered UFO land, as I call it, my life was pretty boring. I'm, I'm sorry, people, you know, I said that to my husband one time. He's like, no, your life is stable. But when you grow up living on chaos and trauma and all that stuff, like stable can feel boring to you because 
you're crazy in the head. <laughs> I don't know, because you have that connection to chaos, you know, or uh, maybe the adrenaline that comes with it, whatever if you want to say. It could be biology, who knows. But I think that stuff, like, that was just, like, so mind-opening for me. Um, and, like, just, I would say, like, life-shifting. Interesting. Do you think that these uh, these events, these moments, do you think it's all just happening by chance? Or do you think it's kind of predestined? It feels predestined because I've tried to get away from the UFO stuff for a while. Like, like I didn't have pleasant, most of the time, my UFO and entity experiences as a little girl, all the way up until probably, probably like 20, until I left Alaska, it's probably 2017 or so. Um, I had very unpleasant um interactions with spirits and entities and possibly interdimensionals or what people would say aliens whatever ultra terrestrials maybe the umbrella term works um so i i've tried to get away from it i try to just be like no i'm just a witch i'm starting a meditation business with my best friend we're gonna sell little witchy kits and mindfulness kits and that's gonna be it and for some reason nothing gains traction until i come back to ufo land and I'm still not even sure what I'm doing here. But the thing is, like, I keep getting back. I always say, like, back to the alien stuff or the UFO stuff. But I use a bad word usually. But <laughs> I, it's just like it keeps pulling me back. And if I try to do something else, it still pulls me back. Um, and all these little kind of, like, chances or opportunities I'm getting haven't led to, like, one moment where, like, aha, I'm supposed to do this. I just like I'm saying yes as the universe throws these things at me and hoping to get clarity as to why it's happening because I don't have any credentials. I didn't finish school. I'm like literally like that crazy farmer that saw a UFO that people back from back in the movie, sci-fi movies, right? I'm the, I'm the housewife that saw a UFO pretty much, right? So <laughs> I can say I have a background in all this stuff because I studied it, but at the same time, like I don't have a credential to be like, well, I should introduce people because I've studied journalism or I should talk about this because of this. My, the only reason I'm qualified for any of this is because I've lived it. Well, let's, let's kind of backtrack a little bit and let's get into your name, which is, or your moniker, which also is the name of your podcast, which is very successful. It's uh, the quantum witch cafe. Now, you know, when people see the word, witch, they instantly interpret it as witchcraft, right? Yeah. But the word witch here that you use, it's not spelled with an I, but rather a Y. Pardon the pun, but, well, why is this? What's the <laughs> difference between the two spellings? Well, a lot of the etymology behind the word weird is actually spelled W-Y-R-D, and it just means kind of, it means a lot of different things depending on what you read. So if you Google it right now, you're going to find a bunch of different things. Um, but basically knowledgeable, um, like into things that are not everyday Um it's kind of like the word occult in the sense where like occult doesn't mean like I've got a demon statue that I'm making animal sacrifice to. It means something else. It means hidden knowledge. So the word weird spelled the Y is very similar to that. Okay. And because people are going to wonder, do you practice various forms of witchcraft or more specifically, what forms of witchcraft do you practice? Well, I, I kind of am more of an eclectic, eclectic witch, but I do work with certain energy streams that people were, would refer to as you know, gods or goddesses. Um, I 
tend to work with Hecate a lot. Um, so if I had to pick one kind of witch, I would say I'm a Hecatean witch because it encompasses a lot of things. And when you actually dive into this energy stream of Hecate, you realize that um, it's everything. So um, I'm not 100% dedicated to one pantheon. And the more I, re I research and practice, the less I use names. I just kind of like commune with the energy streams that represent maybe, you know, one goddess or god, but it's different names everywhere else, like kind of like Hermes and those, you know what I mean? Like that's the same spirit um, or energy stream of consciousness or being, whatever you want to say. So I, I do a lot of plant magic, crystals, you know, I do a lot of different things. I'm not one kind of witch, but, and I, and I will say, um, I'm not 100, like, I'm not going to curse anybody, but I'm also not like the white witch from TV that's frolicking with flower crowns into the forest, you know, which is fun. But I would say I'm in the middle of everything because I think everything is. Now, that, that helps provide some background because I think when people hear that term, they instantly think demonology, right? They think of black magic. They think of the occult. <laughs> they think of all of the you know, negative aspects and they lump it all together in one bucket. And I visited but, those things, you know, but yeah, you, you, you mentioned this, you know, yeah. in your, uh, in your younger years, you dabble with stuff that you know, looking back now, you probably shouldn't have. Right. Um, right. <laughs> what, what was the experience like? Because people are going to wonder. Okay. Um, I'm going to wonder. <laughs> yeah. So I went through a rebellious stage and I was raised Catholic and, as many Catholic girls do, we tend to rebel. And something about, um, I just had like a curiosity about these beings that were like against us, right? Also these beings that were like attacking me and giving me sleep paralysis. So these things were, so your rebellious moment was happening simultaneously with these negative experiences that were taking place. Yes. And they were happening before that too. Um, at one point, I was basically like, okay, if you can't beat them, join them, was the thought process. Unfortunately, that didn't work because I started looking into different types of ways to like actually try to work with demons. And some people do this now, and and it's working for them. So, um, But for me at that age, because I wasn't using um, energy protection protocol, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of like intuitively doing these things that I was being led to do. And now looking back, I'm like, it could have been like the demon saying like, do this. And then I could come bother you in the middle of the night. So when I was actively involved in that sort of dark magic that I thought was just kind of like inherent within me, because I wasn't really, there's not, there wasn't a lot of books for me on the subjects. Then I noticed more entity attacks, um, shadow beings at the edge of my bed. Um, when these entity attacks would happen during sleep paralysis, I would have bruising. And then another strange thing that happened is you know, you go to the opposite side when you're like, okay, I, I may have like done something stupid and let something very bad into my life. Uh, I decided like, okay, I'm just going back to church because there's like one God there. Like, it's going to be so much easier. I don't have to worry about giving this demon this or this demon that I'm just going to like Jesus and God. Right. And maybe the Holy spirit gets in the mix. I don't know. But the closer I would get to now realizing, like, I thought I would get be getting closer to God and all these like, you know, very Christian concepts within a non-denominational realm, like the attacks would get even worse. 
So I went back to just being a witch because it was kind of empowering myself to work with whatever energy streams available, but also learning through being a witch to set parameters for some reason, like ultra Christian didn't work for me. I would get attacked horribly and also demon child didn't work for me. So, um, that's kind of what happened, but I, but yes, they definitely got worse, but it, it is interesting to me that it did get worse when I was going to church a lot too, just kind of trying like, okay, maybe these people are onto something. I've been messing up this whole time. Like being a witch isn't working out for me. Let's just go to the one God thing. Everybody's doing it. They seem happy. It didn't work for me either. So I, I don't know. Are you still kind of wondering like if the witch thing is, is, is working for you or? No, not anymore. Because once I took like made the decision, like I am a witch and I do have these inherent things that I know. Uh, it seems like I have control over the experiences more, even, even in dream state, like I'm able to lucid dream more. I'm able to kind of come out of an astral attack quicker. So, um, I think that, I mean, some people are like, well, that's the enemy just kind of like playing with you. But I can't think about that because when I was so dedicated to God, the same drama was happening. So I don't know. It is fascinating. The world of the unseen. You know, yeah. the spiritual battle. Uh, would you say that there's no doubt some sort of spiritual battle taking place in the invisible or, or is it just perception? I used to think that, you know, when I, when, before I came, like before I found out about the UFO community and all the stuff happening there, you know, I was following from afar, you know, I was following the New York times article. It's kind of like in the corner back of my mind, like this is interesting, but before I fully immersed myself into the UFO community, I did have this concept of like good and evil um, or high vibrational, low vibrational, as it became when I started getting more into like energy work, you know, or these, I don't know. It, it just, you, these big labels didn't seem to work. So um, I'm not sure that there's a battle anymore. Um, there is some sort of battle, I think, between duality but I feel like the more I study it and experience it, the both sides, you know, good, bad, high vibrational, low vibrational, good, evil, I'm realizing that, like, it's not so much a battle, but almost a dance. And people are going to hate that I said that because people don't want that. People want good or evil. People want high vibrational, low vibrational. But as beings, we're both. So... I don't think it's so cut and dry. Like I used to think like the angels are battling the demons, you know, <laughs> even as a witch, I was like, Ooh, angel magic. Let's do that. You know? So it's, I'm open to it all. I'm kind of like that one dude to the Bible is like, Oh, what's your God do? You know, like I can't remember what book it's in, but he's just like the pagans are all aboard to get an extra God when they heard about the big G. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's both. It can't be just one in my mind after experiencing it. It's not just one battle. It's like this intermingling of these things. Let's go back to the UFO topic here, or UAP as some prefer. There are these beings, visitors, aliens, extraterrestrials, ultraterrestrials, whatever you want to refer to them as. There's the one side of the coin that they're here for our benefit. Then there's the other side of the coin that they're not here for our benefit. 
given what you were just speaking about now, do you think that there's this middle ground, this neutral territory? I do. I think there's a middle ground between what people think is to help or harm us. Um, and I think that kind of ends up being what we're observing as maybe the trickster side of it, because the trickster isn't always scary. It's just weird sometimes. Um, and you know this more than anybody. So I don't, when I, if you would have asked me as a child, are these gray aliens evil? I would have said yes. Studying more into the different types of beings that people experience or aliens that people experience. I don't think that anybody's trying to actively hurt anybody anymore. So I think that it's all very gray or maybe something that like we don't even have a descriptor for because of the way we live on this planet since, you know, we've developed religion, I suppose, or beliefs. In your, your spiritual beliefs or your spiritual perspective, I don't know how to refer to it as your, you know, <laughs> or, or, or yeah, I want to be respectful, but so pardon my ignorance. No, you're fine. But, I don't get um, offended easily. So <laughs> well, what would you call it? Like, um, I don't know <laughs> your philosophy. I, I never even thought about that. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Cause I've never, you know, it's, it's gotten more complicated. Like I'm not like, even now I'm just like, I'm an eclectic witch is the best way for me to explain it. But then now it's not just being a witch. It's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than any label we could any ever like, give ourselves. So I don't really have, you know, a way, a descriptor for like what I think anymore. Okay. That's fine. We'll just call it your perspective. <laughs> You have, I guess that's uh, a spiritual um, concept. <laughs> spiritual concepts. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Given your spiritual concepts, uh, is there a source that you tap into for wisdom, for knowledge, for insight? Yes, but it's um, it's kind of like what people think of as, like when people describe like the Akashic records, how it's everywhere and all over the place and in between. Um, that is kind of what I do tap into spiritually and just on an energy level, the closest thing is probably either string theory or M theory, which is you know kind of like string theory, but it's, it's more of like a physics thing to me now, um, realizing like that there's not really empty space and everything that's ever happened is still in existence in some sort of resonant form. Um, whether you believe in time travel or not, um, there's past and present. And I think all this stuff is just accessible around us um, through different dimensions, I guess. Um, but I, I, I don't tap into like, like it's everywhere. It's just, it is one thing, but it's also everything. Okay. Oh, the reason I bring that up is, you know, we'll, we'll take Catholicism for, for example, right? Someone is wondering what the answer is. They'll go into prayer. Yeah. And they'll receive a revelation. When you're kind of stuck trying to find some answers, where do you go? I try to go into nothingness. I try to go into kind of visualizing my body go away. And there's nothing there but consciousness. And visually, that looks like entering like the universe for me. But then eventually it's not even the universe anymore. 
and it's just darkness and nothing. And the nothingness is sort of like what people would think of as dark matter, maybe like it's, there's something there, like it's not just an empty space. And then some people go the reverse, they go within and then outwards, but I just tend to just like explode outwards, I guess, when I'm trying to seek answers like that. I go into meditation, I dissolve and I try to become nothing. (laughs) And then the answer sometimes comes, sometimes it doesn't come for days after, sometimes it comes that night in a dream. Sometimes it comes from like somebody saying something to me that answers, that sounds like an answer to what I was asking. Do you think we're able to access other realms or entities in these states or these dreams? I do. I really, you know, just me um, and my experience, and there's not going to be evidence for it, for this besides people talking about it, you know, within their legends, maybe. Um, But everybody has, every religion or belief system has some sort of access to dreams or other realms, if you think about it. Dream contact, sleep paralysis. Personally, I don't have much experience in this. Obviously you do, but there are aspects of the phenomenon that you've researched extensively. What are some of those more interesting aspects that you've uncovered with it? I think the more interesting aspect would be that some people go into this or put into a form of sleep paralysis that doesn't feel like normal sleep paralysis. Like I'm aware of the physiology that happens. We go into this dream state and your body becomes, your your muscles basically just stop working. And that's later in sleep, right? But as you're falling asleep during the hypnagogic state, two things seem to happen. You know, some people get sleep paralysis there, but the, but some people know that it's sleep paralysis and like, yes, I feel an evil presence, but it's different when they're having actual entities involved during that sleep paralysis. Like, I feel like there's more than one kind of sleep paralysis and experiencers will have these sleep paralysis events and then wake up with physical symptoms. And that's when I'm curious, like you didn't leave your bed, but your consciousness was doing something. Something was happening to you in this dream state, in this big dream or this dream that was so real as people will say, or in a, in a stage of sleep paralysis and they'll wake up with physical symptoms. How does that happen? Like I've had horrible dreams. I had a dream that I got like hurt in the head, trauma, head trauma. And I didn't wake up with a headache and it felt real during the dream. I woke up, there was no head trauma. There was no pain, but in other instances, there's dreams where either there's like an extraterrestrial or an entity evolved. And I wake up with like bruises and this is not just me. This is other people. This isn't just happening to one person. That's why I think that you're able to travel during your dreams and maybe your consciousness is able to sort of do things in some way brings it back and it translates into your physical body. And you won't find evidence for this besides experiential evidence. I don't know that it can be measured because we can't even measure consciousness exactly yet. Uh, there was a person, I uh, actually a friend of mine, who I talked about uh, or I talked with about her, her dream experiences. And she relayed to me a really bizarre event where she would have a dream as if she was another person. And she didn't like, if I understand correctly, she didn't feel like she was observing the other person, but she actually felt like she was the other person. Mm-hmm. What is that? Usually. Have you heard this before? Yeah, I've had it happen to me and I've had it happen to other people. And usually it 
is a form of mediumship where a spirit is trying to get a message through. And I tell people like your energy is very sticky. It's like these, it's almost like spider webs that are just projected on your surface area all everywhere. So what happens to people that get those dreams is maybe they went to, I always say the store and the cashier's handing you the receipt and you guys touch hands or the receipt is touching both your hands and it makes this connection. And then later night, that night you'll dream about maybe their relative that's trying to get a message through, but you are the, con- you're the only, you're the next available like relay station almost. So I think people that get those dreams have mediumship gifts because it's, that's not the first time I've heard that. And that's happened to myself and to a lot of other people. Um, and I only know this because people like, even before I started talking about dream research within the past few months, I've always kind of kept tabs on stuff like this. And I've always researched it independently because as a child, this stuff would happen to me. So it's always been on my radar, but people are coming to me with these experiences and they're freaked out by them. They know the difference between a dream is like some bad guy broke in my house. It's because I watched some scary movie. Okay. It was a nightmare. I feel weird, but I'll go back to bed versus I was somebody else and this was happening to me. And this is probably how that person died, or this is probably how somebody felt about getting a message across to somebody else. They're trying to show you something. And when they're showing you something, sometimes you have to become them. That way you can, that's the only way they can get the message through sometimes. Wow. This is, this is amazing. It's blowing my mind. (laughs) Cause I I thought it was just like a fluke event. People have talked to me about this before. Wow. That is is incredible. We are all connected. Yes. Is there some sort of catalyst that makes someone more likely to have one of these shared experiences as opposed to someone else. I mean, you mentioned if somebody's, you know, making uh, physical contact, right. Right. With like a, like a dollar or something at a cashier, but are there other aspects? When I started studying, I didn't understand why I could feel other people. I didn't understand why I knew things about people. I didn't understand I would go to a club in my 20s, early 20s, and tell some guy about his life story and all his weirdness, and he would start crying. I was reading somebody's energy. So I think that your energetic, all that to say your energetic field plays a role in this, and your energetic field extends so far outside of you. But some people, after trauma, or the reverse of trauma, which is an enlightenment experience, maybe. I don't know what the reverse of trauma would be, but you know, either, after a life-altering experience, either for better or worse, their energetic field either grows outwards and they become almost um, hypervigilant to other people's energies and other things around them, or it goes inward. And what I learned when I was taking a priestessing course was that this is an energy expansion or it's an energy contraction. And different areas of your body have these different areas of energy centers that just so happen to correlate to these different organs in your body. And, you know, the ancient Hindus knew this, the Vedic texts knew this, right? But your energy either goes within or goes without when an experience happens. And this happens a lot to people 
that have experienced trauma or people that have had a paranormal experience, like they never go back to normal after that unless they really, really fight to go back to normal or to just contract inwards and not feel it at all. Wow, fascinating stuff. What can someone do if they are experiencing some sort of unwanted dream contact? I would say jump right into lucid dreaming because from that point, when you're able to lucid dream, you'll be able to tell the difference between a lucid dream, a nightmare, something you can stop versus something that you might not be able to stop because maybe this entity doesn't have the same compass that we do. Sometimes they don't stop and you're awake and you're trying to stop it. Sometimes you're lucid and nothing can stop it. But this, the, what's great about, and you brought this up earlier, like positive thinking, when you start learning to do lucid dreaming, you set intentions and intentions can change what you attract and what you don't attract. It's not going to work every time because we know that horrible things happen to wonderful people sometimes, right? A lot of times, but when you start lucid dreaming, you're training yourself to recognize these subtle energies. And I think that you're able to navigate these realms better when you set these dream intentions like tonight. And I do this with my kids because my oldest son has already experienced ghosts and spirits and weirdness in his dreams. And I'm like, okay, lucid dreaming, let's go. Um, because what you're doing is you're making this connection between the waking state and the dream state or subconscious state, conscious and subconscious, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's the only way to kind of elicit a change because over time, and it might not happen right away, you're going to be able to like stop an entity that's doing an astral attack or a dream attack and say, you're actually not allowed to do this to me because I'm not in your realm. I'm not one of your people. I'm not your homie. You're not going to do this. You know, you're not going to do this to me because eventually I was able to do that. But how, you know, as a child, you don't learn how to lucid dream. So you're going to have all sorts of weirdness happening, especially if you're open to this sort of thing. How do you lucid dream? You know, do you offer a course on it or is there a resource you can suggest? <laughs> I did for a minute. So I did one dream course with my, um, I mentioned like kind of briefly, my friend and I started a, uh, a metaphysical business where we were doing like little like spell kits, meditation kits, um, stuff like that. And, but we were also starting to offer classes before COVID. So one of the classes I did end up doing that she was supposed to do, but, um, something happened. She had to move and, um, I had to do it for us because we had already announced we were doing it was, uh, kind of like a dreaming one-on-one class. And this was just kind of like a intro to dream interpretation because a dream journal is always the first step of lucid dreaming. Um, but you want to be able to read the dreams already that you kind of experience for better or worse. So that was kind of going to be like class one was going to be like interpreting dreams, understanding your dreams, setting dream intentions. Um, if you need some sort of physical talisman, uh, how to work with crystals, herbs, teas, that sort of thing to kind of get your subconscious ready and primed for a lucid dreaming state or even just an intention setting state where you raise your vibration and you're positive enough when you go to sleep that nothing's going to touch you because these icky things don't like to mix too much with somebody that's really radiating like some that either parameters or positivity, whatever you want to call it. So I did teach it and I did have plans to do it again, 
but now um, I'm actually working on a book with all this stuff. So, oh, okay. Um, and that's kind of why I started doing like the more of the experiencers and dreams. There's just going to be one part of it because that's just one part of it. Um, and it, then you build from there because everybody starts with this creepy dream experience. And then it goes to like, how do I change this? So, so that's kind of uh, where I am now instead of trying to like create some crazy course that have no idea how to do that. So <laughs> we're just going to write a book. Now, th this is helpful because, you know, people listening to this, they're going to want to know how do I lucid dream? Because, you know, we, we hear people talk about it, but we don't really have, I mean, there are all these wild techniques out there. Yeah, Let me ask you this. Though. Well, well, I mean, wild, I mean, like there's so many varied techniques. Right. Like you hear, you know, do it this way. Well, it may not work for a particular person this, this way. And what, what about your techniques? What, what doesn't work? I hate saying this because a lot of people are going to be mad, like, calling out to one specific entity, whether it be a god, a goddess, or a plant, doesn't work by itself. You know, I think that you really have to take agency in where you're going when you sleep. And that starts with intention setting. The more you are aware that you are in control of yourself and your own energetic field, then I think you're going to be able, that should work for everybody because you're not relying on, oh shoot, I forgot to drink my mugwort and passion tea, or I forgot to drink my blue lotus tonight. Now I can't dream. No, you're relying on yourself and you're your own, you're your most important magical or energetic or intention setting tool. And you even learn this as a Christian, like prayer comes from you, right? And maybe I'm wrong. It's been a while. <laughs> you know, I haven't hung out with big G in a while, but you know, I remember like the whole, like, um, kind of like, that's like your, uh, your channel between you and the divine is yourself. So that stands true for your dream state as well. Like you're kind of like this column of energy with other energy around you that connects yourself to different realms and people will visualize it. It's not just up and down realms. It's all around and in between realms too. So just really becoming aware of your own energetic field and intention setting right before bed, I think would work almost better than any crystal or herb. But some people need that energetic, energetic resonance of the crystal of, or herb to kind of bring themselves there so they know how it feels. So if you're like super depressed and you hold a citrine crystal or you work with some happy herbs, like something that's uplifting, like a like orange essence or something like that, you feel that herb or that crystal shows you what it feels like to feel this way. And then from that point, you can kind of gauge your own energy. If you're just by yourself, you can think back to, oh, when I held this crystal or drank this tea, I filled this or versus like, this is just mopey old me all the time or whatever, you know? Now, so this is all fascinating. And <clears throat> side note, as you're talking, I like have like a notepad off to the side. So I'm like writing like other questions, <laughs> follow-up questions. I have like so many questions. <laughs> it's Definitely like... going down the rabbit hole with yours um, because normally it's all UFO stuff. And you're not allowed to be too woo. So I'm being 100%. Um, this is what I've experienced and this is what I've learned with you. So, Well, that's why we're getting into it. You know, I don't want to cover the topics that you're already bored about talking about with, you know, and there's so much overlap too, right? I mean, it's not just these categorical boxes like UFOs, right. paranormal, right. it all overlaps. It does. That's why it is important to, um, to look at the whole breadth of 
strange experiences or high strangeness or whatever we want to label it as. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it just drives me bonkers when you have like these very nuts and bolts type UFO investigators who are looking at it as a very physical phenomenon. Right. And it very well might have aspects to that. Sure. But then there's the other part, right? There's the metaphysical aspects. There's all of these, you know, dream states. And, and let's get into like alien abduction. Everybody thinks that alien abduction occurs at night, hmm. but it doesn't. It also occurs during the daytime. So therefore it can't be sleep paralysis, but you kind of alluded to it earlier. There might be different forms of sleep paralysis. It may not just be this black and white issue, right? right. Of, so I, I like how you're approaching this topic with all of these different perspectives, all of these different angles. I think that's important. That's because it's not just a black and white topic. It's not a left and right subject. It's not a good versus evil thing. There's so many other components, so many other complexities. And just talking with you, I, I wish I could say that the topic is becoming more <laughs> simplistic to understand, but it's not. It's just becoming more elaborate. That's the beauty of it. It's a big topic. And I think that we're seeing more people, like it's super cute to me when people are like, oh, well, maybe these things are interdimensional. When you talk to people that have been down all sorts of rabbit holes like myself, um, a lot of spiritual people have thought about this already. And we realize like, there's other, there is other realms. Um, it takes a lot of, you know, bravery to come out and say that on national TV, like, like David Grush did. But that's also turning other people onto like, there is this normal person saying this, there's not some witch saying this, or some spiritual guy saying this that meditates and looks weird to me like that. This is other people's thoughts. I don't think this by the way, but there's this respectable man saying it so now we're going to pay attention and i don't even care as long as people are paying attention but it's super cute when people are like oh we're beginning to think that there's more to this than meets the eye and i'm like yeah i will just stand in the corner and nod yes good for you you're getting there nobody's actually there there anyway right we, even if you think you're traveling down the iceberg of weirdness like there's still more yeah it's it's one of those things that we're never going to be able to fully grasp because we can't, it's, it's not created for our feeble minds or even our emotions to, no. to comprehend, to grasp, to, I mean, you know, there, there's always this argument that, well, we're never going to find out the answer because we're not even asking the right questions. <laughs> but in your opinion, what should we be asking? What are some of those more direct, precise questions that we should be focused on? Instead of, are they here? Are they not here? Are they good? Are they evil? What are some of the other things? Some of the things we haven't covered. I think that people have to ask themselves, are they just presenting themselves, these different phenomena, everything from Bigfoot to little gray aliens to demons, shadow beings, everything, all of these things that we're kind of just saying, this is this, this is that. Are they even that? Because they're just like this thing is just presenting itself possibly from another dimension or realm, or maybe, maybe it's energy resonant. Cause we're all, this is going to sound woo, but everybody's like made of energy, right? Like what is holding your DNA together? What is holding your cells together? Electromagnetism, physics rules, right? What if these things are not that, and they're just presenting themselves 
in their true form as is, and we're trying to make sense of it. So just ask yourself, like, just because it's real and true here to this world, to this realm, to this science, to our concepts of space-time, does that mean that that's the same in other realms where these beings might be visiting from, where these craft might be coming from? Is it presenting itself as is, and we're doing the best we can with the imagery we've collected over our lifetime or with the rules we've been taught or the things that we've seen? Is, is it possible that we don't even have the words or visuals to explain this thing as it is presenting itself? In other words, stop applying human logic and principles to a very non-human force or entity or energy or whatever the heck it is. You refer to a topic or a, uh, a term called non-human intelligences, which now we're hearing a little bit about NHI. Do these NHI have the ability to affect our perception of reality? I, I think it's yes, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not doing it on purpose. Ah. I mean, you read books like Messengers of Deception, American Cosmic, um, even Operation Trojan Horse. And it brings into question, like, are these things manipulating what we're seeing? Maybe. I think that in a lot of cases, it seems like the answer is yes. But then I have to go back to asking myself, what if it isn't? What if it's just like, here I am, as I am, and that's what your brain's doing with me? <laughs> Like I'm an alien giving you pancakes now. Like that's the best, you know, that's the best your human mind can do. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and that's an actual case, right? So yes, it is. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know. There's like, I'm 50, 50 on everything now. I don't know. Like in the more I research, the less I know, because it's like, it could be manipulating us. And a lot of times people say like, there's the trickster element, which we probably dealt with at the beginning of before we were even recording. But also, like, it's, there's so many different forms that people experience of these beings and these craft and these, even, even when you go into like, uh, the Bigfoot or Sasquatch studying, like, there's so many different variations of those as well, right? So I, I'm leaning more to like, these things are not, like, they're not presenting themselves in a way that is trying to be trickster or even hurt us, even, even though it might because we're just little humans, right? Our biologies might not mix, their energies might mess us up. But I think they're just kind of like, they're just there and trying to get through to us in a specific way. But then we're just kind of making the best of with, with, with the knowledge and the senses that we're able to, to actually like use. Looking back on your first UFO experience, now you mentioned you were five, right? Yes. Looking back on it as an adult, what do you think the purpose was? I have no idea still. And I honestly was thinking yesterday, like, I wish it didn't happen. I wish I didn't wonder about all this stuff. I wish I didn't go down any rabbit holes ever. I just want to be like a simple minded person and just be like, this is it. This is reality. There's nothing to question here. Nothing to see here. Keep walking. You know, I want to be that person again, but. I, the only reason I can think is maybe to be here for other people to not feel crazy, to put it simply, because that's when people call me, they'll call me, I haven't talked to you in six years and something weird happened to you. You're going to call me <laughs> and I might not hear from you again. 
but you're going to call me because I'm like this safe space for people now, even before having a podcast, people would just be like, okay, I know you're not going to think I'm crazy. Uh, I was giving my kids a bath and I saw my grandpa walk in, but grandpa's been dead. Or I was closing my eyes and I had sleep paralysis and I saw like emoji gray aliens floating around me. But I'm telling you, cause you're not going to think I'm crazy. But that's the only thing I could, the only thing I could think of why that happened is to hold space for people. And as you know, I consider myself Christian, but, but I love talking with people who, who, who aren't, who have different perspectives, because I think just like witches, Christians get a bad rap, right? Mm-hmm. It's very judgmental people. And part of my journey, or at least what I would hope is my journey is to kind of erase that or work to erode that because there are people who have a strong fundamental belief in a religion but they're still experiencing some of this stuff. And there is not really a safe space in every church to talk about this stuff. As you know, with the Catholic church, it's very, you know, very cut and dry, right? It's either demonic or it's not. But what if it's something else that we can't even conceive? I mean, it's, you know, not, not to turn this into a late night sermon, but it's like, you know, in the Christian Bible, there are plenty of parts where it states that, there are some mysteries that we are just not meant to comprehend. Yeah. We're just not meant to understand. And I'm okay with that. But we need to have those safe spaces for people to have the conversations, to have the discussions, right? Because that's how we grow as human beings. Being, obviously in a respectful manner, right? You know? Sure. And that's what I like about your podcast is you, you create these safe spaces for people to talk about these things, whether it's an experiencer, whether it's an author, whether it's an investigator, whatever, whether it's just a thinker. But when you're doing this, um, this podcast, the Quantum Witch Cafe, what has been the hardest challenge for you to overcome when it comes to this podcasting thing? I think for me, the hardest thing has been sort of like, I'm not good at talking about myself. Um, Obviously, like I'm here because you asked me to talk about myself, but I'm not like, like, if I'm going about my day, I'm not like, promoting it or anything like that. Um, I think the biggest thing I learned is like, you have to like, let you have to let people be themselves. Because if you watch my podcast, I'm not a journal. I'm not, I don't study interviewing people. It's a conversation. And I learned that the people that are writing these books, the people that are having these experiences have something to say, and they have an experience that usually triggers it. A lot of people after the show will tell me crazy things. They're like, Hey, this is off the record. Right. And they'll tell me stuff. So I think that I've learned that you have to listen to people no matter what they're saying. You have to be able to hold a space for them. You have to be able to let them feel safe to express themselves because sometimes that's all it takes for somebody to not feel crazy. In all, in all reality, a lot of people are feeling like they're crazy. Even the people that you know write books, they're confused when they're writing these books, and then the book changes, and they're like, "Wait, like I wasn't even writing about that. Now it's a UFO book or something." You know, <laughs> we hear about this topic when when it comes to to authors, especially that they're not creating the content themselves, but yeah. rather they're channeling it from somewhere. Yeah. 
And I know this is going to be taken the wrong way of like, okay, well, maybe this is possession, right? Where you're not in control <laughs> of yourself, but let's look beyond that. Have you experienced things where it's almost like a download of information where you're like, where the heck did that come from? Yeah, I have. And I've talked to people that have had that sort of automatic writing thing um, happen while they're writing their books and certain parts sort of write themselves as they might say, but it wasn't coming from them. Um, but I've also experienced waking up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., crazy hours, right? And just writing and saying like, oh, hey, like this is going to be part of something I'm writing. Um, but also other than that, like the downloads of knowledge about people have happened to me just by like looking at them sometimes. And like, how would I know these things? How would I know like it has to, I don't know, there has to be some weird like a, I don't know, connection between knowledge and ourselves. Um, but I have heard people say like the book wrote itself. It wasn't me that wrote the book. Hmm. Now at the start of the show, I asked you if you consider yourself psychic or sensitive. And you said not psychic, but sensitive. What you're describing though, is very similar to psychic phenomenon. But how would, yeah, but how, you know, knowing something about somebody just by looking at them or just getting an impression just out of the blue, those are psychic aspects. I guess I always think of psychic and I know better. Like now that you're saying it, I'm like, that's not what psychic means. But I always think of like telling the future, right? So, uh, okay. Um, but you're right. Like technically, I guess it is, but I just feel so weird saying it. I don't like to like draw attention to myself, believe it or not, because I have a podcast, but that was not, that was something that just happened. That was not something I don't like talking to people at all. I didn't on my wedding day. Like everybody's like, like I had my makeup, hair professionally done, tan, was doing yoga. I looked amazing, <laughs> but I didn't want anybody looking at me and I didn't want anybody hearing what I was saying in my vows besides obviously the person I was marrying. But like that kind of just the, the, the podcast thing kind of just happened. And a year before that, I had talked to a guy that does uh, readings, uh, star seed readings, I think, or star being readings. And he told me, you're going to be talking about this publicly. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Well, then how, how did you get into the podcast thing then? I just was going crazy. Like I, I realized there was this whole community, but again, I was just like this random housewife that wanted to talk about UFOs and I couldn't really talk to anybody in my immediate surroundings about it. And I just wanted to talk to people that were interested in the same thing. And then it started as like, kind of like, a, okay, well, these people just always have these same, there's always these same five guys talking about UFOs and it's always a male in most cases. I mean, there's some amazing male, uh, female researchers, you know, like Chase Klotsky. And there's a lot of people that are female that do it, but you're not, but when you turn on a UFO panel, it's mostly going to be like the same guys talking about it. And I love you guys. Don't worry. But I was just like, I'm never going to get to talk to anybody. Like I'm sick of not talking to anybody. I have things to say about this. Um, not that I think my opinion matters, but it was more just kind of, it's like a therapy session. Like you just want to talk about it and that helps. But then I realized like there's other people that are like me in my same situation that want to talk about this too. And the channel kind of started with one video um, that is like a solo content video. And then it went to um, having like a ladies night where I was like, there's other females that want to talk about this. Um, and then it went to like, 
why don't I start a book club and invite these guys that are always hanging out together to my channel? I mean, I'm not maybe respectable or cool enough to be on their channel, but they could definitely come to mine and talk about books. So from that point, I was like, I want to talk to authors. I want people to read and I want to talk to people about their books, about strange phenomena, but I don't just want to talk about their book. I want to talk about like why they wrote the book, how they wrote the book. I want to get to know the author like on a personal level. That's why when you watch my podcasts, a lot of authors come on there and they're themselves. Like they, people might be like, oh, it's not professional because he was drinking a beer, but that's who he is. It's late at night. Why can't he have a beer and talk about his passion? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just think it's a very real place, you know, um, and it just happened. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. The the origins of, of the quantum witch. I just always picture like a cafe. Like I remember going to these like little weird cafes in Phoenix that were just like dark and that's when you could smoke. And then you'd have like people just outside smoking and drinking coffee and these, you know, just different types of people, everything from like two preppy girls to two punk rockers in the corner, you know? So I just wanted it to be a virtual space like that, where we could talk about stuff without having to like be an expert just being a human, talking about this stuff, talking to other humans who might just so happen to be experts sometimes. Well, there's another subject that I see you involved a lot with, and uh, this UFO or UAP disclosure. Yeah. But what is it? Is it a grassroots movement, a, a niche club, a, a funded or lobbyist organization? Like, what is this disclosure subject? I think it's a little bit of all of that, because you have people that have been talking about this before it was cool, right? Like you have the names on Twitter that have been doing it forever. You have your UFO Jesus, you have your Danny Silva's, you have your your guy, James Iandoli's what's doing CE5 with Stephen Greer in the 90s. If you do anything in the 90s, you were an OG, right? So, <laughs> so you have those people that were very grassroots. But then also you have like the people that are the deep researchers that aren't funded, but then you also have this disclosure element that's coming from our government now or since maybe 2017 when the New York Times bombshell article, you know, came out. I, I think it's all of those things. And I think right now that there's definitely maybe two sides of it. There's the people that are using it for political gain and to get elected and be progressive. And then there's people that actually really seem passionate about it within the political framework. Disclosure is not going to be from one person. It can only be from one thing and they're not doing it, right? It could only be from these beings themselves saying, here I am, or here we are, because there does seem to be different types of beings, right? Um, I don't think it's one thing. Again, more questions than answers. I'm going to ask this question because a lot of other people are going to be wondering this too. When it comes to the disclosure subject, you have the government aspect. And you've been making your way on the circuit for you know, you've been making some traction now, uh, a, lot, a lot of traction in a short period of time. Have you been approached by any type of government people to help get this message out, so to speak? No, I don't think that I don't think that I like put myself out there like that enough for them to come to me. I don't think that I'm that kind of person. I don't think that I think they. I don't know. I, I just haven't, you know, I, I don't. I don't think our answer is going to be in that. I don't think our answer is going to be through government disclosure. They're doing their best. Maybe they're doing the best they can. Like we've got legislative language coming out now, right? For the hearing on the 26th 
or, you know, and the hearing on the 26th, not for it, but like both these things are happening the same week. This like legislative language is saying UFOs, unidentified flying objects, discs, all this wild stuff that you would only read in sci-fi. I think that's like a primer, but I don't think actual like what people want from the government might not happen the way that they want it to happen. And I don't think that I'm approached because I don't think that, I don't want to say like I'm untaintable, but I don't think that if I was approached, I would even trust any of that. You know, I don't think that's my role. There's other people that are doing amazing things with that. They have, you know, meetings, it's very news oriented um, platforms. They report what's actually happening legislatively with the governments around the world, and that's what they're doing. But I haven't been approached. I don't think that I'm that person. I don't think I'm the right person to do that. What about some of the guests that you've spoken with, some of the people that you've, you know, moderated in some of these discussions? Have you ever felt like you've kind of crossed the line? You've you've kind of flirted with a a dangerous aspect because we hear about this in, in yeah. the UFO topic, especially right. People get too close to the truth, so to speak. Yeah. And then they get scared off or they get, you know, told, Hey, don't follow this Avenue. Has that ever happened to you? No, no, because I don't, I don't go, like I don't mess with the government stuff. Cause I think that they're very capable of doing that to people. I don't want that. I don't want that. I'd rather just, you know, like share what's happening. Um, I do take part, you know, like when people are like, call your representatives, all that stuff, I'm about it. You know, like if somebody's like, let's go do a peaceful UFO uh, protest in DC, I'm an hour away, you know, let's do it. But I don't, I don't think that I get involved. Maybe that's why I don't put my, myself out there like that. I don't know if I would want to be in that position because I have a family and my family is happy and normal. And I don't, I don't want them to be affected by something that I'm doing that I just want to know. Right. So I, that's never happened to me, but I don't think that I really align myself with that. Cause you can see, I don't get, I don't try to get the political people on my channel. Right. The only people that really mess with me are like, forgive me. Cause you're not this, but um, usually just like angry old white guys mad because like I was showing a shoulder or something like those are the people that harass me, not people that I actually feel are like dangerous, I guess, in the government or anything like that. Yeah. There's some mean people out there. Oh yeah. Oh, I've been, yeah. I have had all sorts of interesting things said to me just mm. because I exist, I guess, but well, it's expected when you're out there, I guess. You got it. You know, I always look at it like you haven't made it until you're hated on. <laughs> then once, once you get your first piece of hate mail, then you've officially made it. You know, where you've gotten your first uh, threatening message, then you've officially oh, yeah. made it. So. Yeah, yeah. It's usually just angry people because they think that I'm trying to like. They they don't think I'm professional enough. Um, they don't think that I look professional enough. I they think that I'm trying to like. I don't know. Like it sounds stupid to even say like like I've been accused of like oh you're trying to like use the way you look to like get followers. I'm like oh well thank you for thinking I could do that because I'm not doing that but. Um, and maybe I should be flattered that you think I think that I look a certain way that would like entice followers, you know, but um, for a female, like you can't be one or the other, right? You can't be like bun falling off the side of your head in a hoodie. Somebody's gonna be like, oh, you're sloppy. You can't like do your hair and makeup and try to look nice because you're trying to like lure men in or people and viewers in with something like it's it's so silly. Yeah, it is silly. And it's especially silly 
because it reflects our perception of this phenomenon, right? We expect the phenomenon to be in a certain way, to, to appear in a certain way, to act in a certain way, to portray itself the way we want it to be portrayed. And it's the same thing with, you know, hosting a podcast, you know, yeah. it's, they want you to be a certain way. And that's, it doesn't surprise me. It, it's a shame and it's, and until we're willing to look past our preconceived notions of what we think this should be, I don't think we're ever going to get over that, you know? Um, and it's, it really sucks, but, but you have a great podcast. You, you're doing great things in the field. And I just want to call attention to this. You know, you've supplied, um, you supplied me with a link to all of your social media handles, documentary appearances at the following Linktree address. And from, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Linktree, it's a URL service that has a list of various links all contained within one. It just makes it easier to share stuff instead of supplying you know, a million different links. It's just one link. You click on it, and then you can see all of Priscilla's links to various things that we talked about tonight, some of the projects she's involved with, some of the initiatives. And for those of you listening to the podcast, there's a direct link uh, to that website in the show notes or show description so that you can easily click on it from there. But for those of you who are listening to this from a, maybe a live streaming service, let me give you the address. After the HTTPS, it's spelled L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash quantum underscore which with a Y. Again, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash quantum spelled Q-U-A-N-T-U-M underscore which W-Y-T-C-H. There is no dot com. Look at it in the show notes. You're on practically every single social media site out there under the handle quantum underscore witch. Yes. But what is the preferred way for listeners to reach out to you, Priscilla? Over DMs on any of those. I, I make sure that my DMs are open because, um, yeah, you get some weirdos in your inboxes, but you, you mostly don't get weirdos. You get people that want to talk about their experiences. And I'm especially open for experiencers. Just DM me. Um and of course, you know, sometimes it takes a few days, uh, but just, just reach me on any of those social medias. I always check my request box if we're not friends or we're not following each other and Twitter's open completely. So just shoot me a message if you want to contact me. And then from there, uh, we can, you know, talk other ways, email or whatever. So again, that's quantum underscore, which with a Y W Y T C H her show is the quantum, Witch cafe. You can find it on Spotify, all your major podcasting platforms. Yes. <laughs> Priscilla, thank you very much. It was thank an you. honor and it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Terror Signals with Justin Bamforth and presented by Normal Paranormal. For more on this show and other topics of high strangeness, please visit normalparanormal.org or visit the program website at terrorsignals.com. 